0: That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is sponsored by Bob's Red Mill. With natural foods, they support organic, vegan, paleo, and gluten-free lifestyles. Learn more about their commitment to good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast.
1: Become a member during our 2017 Summer Drive to get access to sweet swag and pledge your support to the world's only food radio station. Visit heritageradionetwork.org donate to become a member now.
2: We talk about food.
3: sky flying and the sky flying tune.
4: With chef Neil Frazier, chef and owner of Redbird and Vivian in downtown LA. Welcome to the show.
5: Thanks for having me. Oh,
4: well, thanks, thanks for so elusive. Oh, you know, we run on our own schedule. That's good. And uh You're
5: getting pitched out, so
4: we have found that interviews are happen when they're supposed to happen. That's good. That's um so you've been you've been in the kitchens for quite a long time.
5: I've been cooking for a couple years, yeah. Uh, How
4: how old were you when you got
5: started? Uh, My first restaurant job was in high school. Yeah. Um, My first restaurant job was in high school. I I raced bicycles, and a guy I raced bicycles with um, also was a chef, kind of got me involved in cooking. He worked at a place called Outside China. It was like a chin-chin ripoff. And I worked there in high school. Uh, weekends, things like that, you know, working the uh, pantry station in the Hunan oven. Uh, I probably worked there maybe 30 or 40 days. I uh, worked at Baskin Robbins when I was in junior high. Um, and then I started cooking, you know, after my kind of, my kind of put my professional cycling career to bed.
4: What, uh? what made you put that cycling profession to bed?
5: Um, a, you know, kind of a litany of, you know, bad things, um, you know, some good, some bad, you know, my, High school girlfriend got pregnant. Uh, find out shortly thereafter that it was my child and ended up having a child when I was 21. Um, you know, just not really making it in college. Uh, doing very well as a professional cyclist, you know, making two to three thousand dollars a year. And uh, it just I wasn't cutting it. And yeah. I, uh, I was riding down the escalator to Stone Hills Mall in San Francisco. And I got to the bottom of the escalator, I decided I want to be a chef. And I moved back to uh, Los Angeles from San Francisco. and. Moved back in with my parents. There was one restaurant uh, in Laurel Canyon at the time. I knocked on the door. It was called The Coyote. And uh, asked the chef for a job. He said, you start right now.
4: Amazing. What year was this? This was
5: uh, 1989.
4: Do you think that someone could do that now? Just knock on a restaurant's door and just get a job just like that?
5: Yes. I think you can knock on a door of a restaurant and get a job. Yes, absolutely. Really? And I wish more people would knock on my door and ask for jobs.
4: So if I were to knock on your door and say I have limited to basic skills, not restaurant skills, where would
5: I start? I usually say, you know, I'll, I'll pay you when you get to the point where I, you know, can afford to pay you. Gotcha. Uh, a little different back then. I was probably making, you know, three dollars, 50 4 dollars an hour. On, yeah. You know. Um, Which went a little bit
4: further back then.
5: Not, yeah, not, I mean, you know, yes. it, was, it, was, it was expensive. We were selling pizzas for yeah. eighteen dollars and pastas for nineteen dollars. I mean, um, you know, the I was you know I was making thirty or forty dollars a day. You know, and you know it's different now with the minimum wage going up. But you know, I, I have a guy in my kitchen right now, no experience. You know, is washing dishes. Um, friend of uh, one of my friends, or son of one of my friends. Yeah. You know, family member of one of my friends. Um, and he started out at the bottom, and, you know, he, he worked a couple days for free, and, you know, we gave him a job as a dishwasher, and he's killing it. You know, he's, you know, trying to get in there and do the best job he can possibly do. And that's really, when you're talking about trades, that's what you need. You need a good work ethic, you know. The rest we can teach you.
4: Yeah. I mean, it's it's skill and, I mean, intuition, and I mean, to at a point, too, as well, right? I think
5: all that can be taught. I think that, you know, the idea that, you know, we're not curing cancer in the kitchen, you know, we're cooking food, and I think that I can teach... Just about anybody. When I mean me, I mean me and my sous chefs and the people who sure. are managing my kitchen. Um, you know, I think we can teach anybody how to be a good line cook.
4: So um, you're, you're working in Laurel Canyon. Uh, and when did, you know, it go from I want to do food and sound like you knew that you want to do it to being like, I'm really going to make a run out this. Like, I really want to go all in. Maybe you think about starting working at higher end places and business. Um, what made what was that switch for you?
5: I had a, a friend that I met at Valley College. Mm-hmm. Um, I was kind of dabbling in going to college, and I went to San Francisco State for a semester. Went to Valley College uh, in the San Fernando Valley for a couple semesters. And I would met a guy in photojournalism class, and he also was kind of getting the uh, tickle to be a chef. He got a job at a restaurant called Eureka. Mm-hmm. I was working at this pizza place. You know, that being said, this pizza place was started by a guy named Ed Ledoux. Um, Ed LeDoux's first job was in Spago. He invented the California pizza. He went on to start a pizza chain called California Pizza Kitchen. CPK. Um, he was a raging alcoholic and uh, sold all of his shares a day before they went public and opened a little pizza place in Lower Canyon. And over the course of the next 15 years, you know, drunk a couple of bottles of Jack Daniels every day and ended up dying from alcoholism, unfortunately.
4: Woof. Was but, that a – um, I mean – Given uh, the notorious lifestyle of what chefs could be, especially in the 90s, was that a, a lesson to you to sort of stay on the straight and narrow, or was it...
5: I don't know if I was that aware. I think, you know, at yeah. a certain point, you you know, if you're in a situation that's, you know, not so unique, mm-hmm. I think you you kind of own it up to, like, that's the way it is. I mean, right. you know, I was, you know, talking to my mom today. I'm, you know, unfortunately or fortunately, you know, I've, well, I've lost a lot of friends. You know, I've lost friends to... You know, painkillers that led to heroin, that led to overdoses, to death. Yeah. I mean, one of my, you know, my second job in Eureka, which was where this guy Dan got a job, which was Wolfgang Puck's second or third restaurant. Sure. Um, you know, I was a prep cook there. One of my biggest mentors there, his name was Eric Karp, um, was a drug addict as a kid, was clean and sober for a very long time, you know, had some back problems, started, you know, taking some medication for his back and got, you know, hooked up with heroin again and OD. You know, um, one of my, you know, early career, you know, just a rock star in the kitchen, just a super amazing guy. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the dragon got him, you know.
4: Yeah, I mean I think it's tough to um, it's tough to watch. I mean, especially when you're a career chef as the way that you are and you've been through all these big kitchens to see that sort of lifestyle know is this a problem or is this just sort of what's accepted as part of the trade.
5: You know, I think it's things have really changed. You know, yeah. I think that um, you know times have changed. You know, I don't I don't drink with my staff. You know, I drink with my staff once or twice a year. Yeah. You know, maybe individuals I'll take out to dinner from here to here. But you know, I don't hit the bar with my staff after work. You know, I mean that was commonplace when I was a kid. You know, every chef I worked with, you know, you got done with service, you took him out to the bar, you drove him home in the morning. If they're, you know, you pick him up the next day, drive him back to work. I mean, you were basically chauffeur. Comey, you know, um, you know, this was my life, you know, and, um, you know, the people that I got to experience that with, I learned a lot from Mark Valiani, another guy I worked for, who was the chef Chevy Eureka, I worked with him at Spago, I worked with him at, uh, at rocks. Um, you know, we, we used to go drinking or, you know, almost every night, you know, or we'd go somewhere, we'd play baseball after, you know, <laughs> we, we do all sorts of stuff. That stuff, it just doesn't exist anymore. I mean, that, all that stuff has been pushed out of me by, um, you know, it's just being abused, you know, not, not being able to manage my people in that way. I, I have to
4: manage a little more professional. And it's, um, you know, you work for some great names. You work for Keller, you work for Wolfgang, you know, I mean, you work there. And um, aside from the, I guess, the discipline, what did you take away from when working at those places and sort of like understanding what I meant to manage a team, which is, I think, something that is rarer today? To find people who really understand how to manage and run a restaurant, the team they work with. Uh, what did you learn during that era of cooking, as you're starting to think about what it would be like to open up your own place?
5: I mean, all, all the chefs are very different. The way their yeah. their styles are very different. You know, Wolfgang um, was very kind to people in the kitchen. You know, to to a point, he was very. Um, I don't say passive aggressive, but always kind of like jokingly. You know, like, we always have a joke, like, I, you know, Wolfgang would come to the kitchen, and he'd see you, he goes, I thought I fired you already, like, you know, yeah. he would make kind of condescending jokes, they were meant to be funny, Yeah. but they were condescending, Thomas was super serious, you know, barely cracked a smile, um, very intense, you know, one of my favorite kitchen stories when I was working at Checkers with Thomas down the street, um, he was really upset at this real cook who was this big white kid, 6'2", yeah. 6'3", uh, six six just strapping white kid. And uh, somehow he got the, the nickname of Sunshine. <laughs> and he, like, served some bad food one time. And uh, I never – this is the only time I lost, you know, saw Thomas really lose his school. And he basically picked a fight with a guy in the middle of the service. He goes, Sunshine, I want you to come over across the line right here on the pass because I'm going to kick your fucking ass.
2: Wow. And he was
5: not – Joking about it. It wasn't like if he would have gone there, this guy would have gotten punched in the face. I mean, and the guy packed up his bag and he walked out the back door. I never saw him again.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I feel like Thomas Keller could hold his own in a fight.
5: Yeah, he's a big dude. He's a know. big dude. He's definitely bigger than me. I mean, yeah. You know, he's I got that serious.
4: arm length where he could probably start hitting you before he could even get close to I think his him. father
5: was a drill sergeant. You know. Oh, really? He grew up in, uh, from my understanding, he grew up in. Uh, some of his life in Camp Pendleton. like he was he lived that was he, he was promotion sign
4: I mean you definitely get um, that from his kitchens and how he runs them yeah so um, how long did it take before you felt confident or before you felt the, that you had to uh, open up your first place and and what did it take to to get that off the ground and what I've, year was it
5: I was uh, working at uh, rocks with uh, Mark Valiani. Uh, it's a Hans rock and restaurant. It was in the Beverly Prescott Hotel, now called the Mr. C, or it's on basically uh, Beverly and Pico. Okay. Kind of where Pico and Soto are. Mm-hmm. I was working there. Uh, I was at a bar one night. I got introduced to a guy in a bar. I um, think it was called, it was run by Trivio Prado. I think it was called Cha Cha or something. It was in the uh, Orlando Hotel. It's most recently the Churchill. Oh, yeah. I met a guy through a mutual friend his name was Steve Arroyo he was a, like a bar back at uh, Hard Rock Cafe and was working for Italy Cafe selling coffee and we met in a bar and he goes let's open a restaurant together like almost like seeing a girl in a bar and saying I want to marry you like I, you know, I knew your name and your last name and your mother's maiden name and I asked you to marry me and right. somehow I said sure let's see like what do you got Yeah. and uh, the next day we looked at the space you know Felt a little dodgy, but uh, felt like I should go for it. The next two days later, he showed up with a check for hundred thousand dollars, and I was 20, 25 years old. And what was the name of your first place? It was called Boxer, mm-hmm. and um, Steve and I opened a restaurant together. I was a little, you know, skeptical on finances and stuff, so I let him hold the whole bag as far as ownership goes. And uh, you know, we found a space, no liquor license, bathroom in the kitchen. Um, Opened a restaurant called Boxer together Literally painted ourselves You know, lived in there uh, You know, took us, I don't know, several months to open Did very little work, you know Tore the facade off, changed the facade a little bit Painted the floor You know, there was already a kitchen there um, There was a wood-burning grill, a wood-burning pizza oven In the back there were two stoves, very small, 40 seats And, uh, you know, the first night we did 100 covers The second night we did 50 covers The third night we did 10 covers And then it was just like dead just dead for a while, and then but when I mean, it just changed. kind of it's just started building. It was like yeah. you know, it was the overnight success, and we, you know we went from having five servers and three bussers and five cooks to having one server and two cooks. Yeah, and we just kept at it, you know, and kept you know I don't I don't want to say the food got better. I think people started to get to know us a little more, and uh, you know we built a, a, a restaurant together. You know we got um, you know great reviews in the LA Times, from the LA Weekly, and it really launched my career as a young chef. And it's funny like you know a guy like dan barber from stone barns you know he was working in la at the time he goes you know boxer was my favorite restaurant in la he told me one day and i was just like how would you even know how would you even know he was working at campanile and um but it was you know inexpensive you know byob a neighborhood and, uh, place a neighborhood place that it, it you know we we built it to be you know like you know brook shields used to eat there it was a it became an a-list place and uh We had a good run there, and, um, the guy who gave us the money ended up embezzling some money from some people, and we started getting subpoenas, and, uh, I decided, uh, you know, at the, kind of the crescendo, the highest high we were doing, I just decided to walk away. I decided just to, you know, quit. I gave my notice, um, and I, I I left without a job. You know, I just decided that I wasn't going to go to jail for this, and, uh, there was a lot of shady things going on, and I was just like, you know, it's time for me to move on, and, um. You know, I moved on and I uh, met a guy named uh, Will Cargus, also OD'd very recently mm-hmm. uh, and he had a couple of restaurants in Santa Monica, he was also partners in Jones, he had a place called Blueberry which is like this breakfast lunch place Yeah, and then he was partners in a restaurant next door called Rick's and um, I decided that, you know, he wanted to be the chef there and he wasn't happy with the chef who was there and uh, he fired the chef and uh, on a Saturday night after service and then Tuesday we opened up with a completely new menu and just kind of went for it Amazing. And, uh, and again kind of the same thing you know slow during the week busy on the weekends I ended up meeting my uh, my wife there um, she was the assistant general manager and you know again made a good run at it and, you know cooked some good food and you know it was a kind of a restaurant that was on, I was the third or fourth chef yeah. it was like a you know a nightclub on the weekends and kind of sure. a fine dining restaurant during the week and you know we do 40 covers on Tuesday night and 400 covers on Saturday night and um, you know how to run in with the ownership and kind of walked out with my chef de cuisine my pastry chef and uh, my uh, sous chef you know met, uh, the um, Jimmy uh, Murphy uh, was reopening Jimmy's in Beverly Hills and they were uh, you know redesigning it and so Chris and I got involved as co-chefs in Jimmy's Beverly Hills, and uh, remodeled this you know kind of iconic 20-year restaurant, um, you know Bernardo China and Frette uh, uh, linen, and um, you know just gutted the kitchen and uh, opened this restaurant in Beverly Hills, and just was absolutely killing it. You know Nancy Reagan was in there every night, <laughs> Betsy Bloomingdale, um, you know the who's who of Beverly Hills people. Yeah, of course. New Year's Eve came around. You know, we did. uh, We were doing a million dollars a month in this restaurant, and uh, New Year's Eve went around. We ended up going out uh, camping the night after. You know, went out to the the woods, and um, you know, no cell phone reception. This was you know, two thousand, year two thousand, and uh, came back, and I had twenty five missed calls on my cell phone. I'm like, somebody must have died, and Jimmy's had closed. And I found out later in my career that they basically redid the restaurant, so it added more value to it. So when the so when the owner uh, owner of the building came to them and wanted to buy their lease that had more value, so I was basically a patsy in this whole marketing scheme for the Murphys to make money, you know. And I, I kind of got fucked on it. And at that point in time, I I kind of decided that you know I was going to give it a college try to tr- really try to open my own restaurant, raise all the you know, raise all the money, do my own thing, um, and uh, you know. I said fine So I left there I was consulting A restaurant called Moomba in Berkeley mm-hmm. Hills Or in uh, West Hollywood And then like Three weeks later 9-11 happened You know It was just like The worst time In the world mm. To raise money For a restaurant you
4: know? Well We're going to take A quick break We're going to talk About the road of, To you happening Your first restaurant And uh, Redbird And all the other Restaurants and Event spaces That have followed cool. Plus some of your Charity work That you do as well oh. Uh, we have a track from the archives Here on Snacky Tunes On org. Tonight a
6: blue balloon Blew by me On the sidewalk Pushed by the wind Past the lampposts And the trash cans I turned around To watch it go And it was gone Am I light enough To lift Oh, am I light enough Am I light enough To lift Oh, am I light enough When I was a kid I used to climb To the top crook of a tall pine In the woods Behind the house Late at night Overhead A flock of lights Passing by Am I light enough To lift Oh, am I light enough Am I light enough to lift? Oh, am I light enough? But I don't want to climb anymore. I don't want to leave. Oh, I'm ready to come down now. can't calm down I can't calm down I'm ready now To come back to the ground I'm ready now To put my weight on a day Oh, help me down now Help me down to the ground Oh, help me down, dear
4: Welcome back to Snacky Tunes. I am one half your host, Darren Bresnitz. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And if you're kind enough, leave us a review. We would really appreciate it. We are here with Chef Neil Frazier, sitting in the beautiful Redbird in downtown Los Angeles. Um, so nine eleven hits. It's a tough time to raise money. Nine
5: eleven hits. I, I'm again working at a restaurant that they spent millions of dollars on, and uh, it went from being you know packed to being empty. And
4: I mean, at um, what point if, the, if this keeps happening, do you like look in? Do you ever look inward, or do you just go? I just keep winding up in these bad situations, and at some point, it's going to hit for me.
5: You know, I don't know. It's it's like. Uh, you know, I, I watched La La Land the other day for the sure. first time. It's like, you know, doing your, you know, your, your personal, you know, pouring your soul out into a, you know, a one woman show. And, all, you know, all of a sudden it's a flop and, you, yeah. get, you know, notice from it. Um, you know, I knew, I knew how to cook. I knew that I, I was tenacious. I knew that I had um, what I thought it took to be successful inside of a restaurant. So I just kept trying, you know, I, yeah. I, I think, you know, I raced bicycles as a kid, you know, I sucked really bad when I started, I got really good. I was yeah. national champion. You know, I lived at in the training center. Um, I was a good cyclist. It didn't happen overnight. It, it was a lot of work. Yeah. And, uh,
4: that foundation know, is probably helped you just stay it focused. Helped me a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And
5: you know, at the end of the day I really wanted to be successful. I wanted to do my own thing. I, I, I found a space I, I really loved. Um, I talked to my wife and it being, you know, my girlfriend at the time uh, soon to be after a wife that was a really great space. And we thought it would take us six months to open. It took us three years. You know, we had to negotiate with the, the current owner, the uh, current owner, um, was his, his lover, uh, had unfortunately passed away from HIV and he was running this restaurant that was his partner's restaurant mm-hmm. that his partner had started. And he, they started dating years into right. it. It It's called Muse. Uh, it had a great track record. It was there for, I want to say 20 years. Um, and I just thought that was the perfect spot. It was on Beverly Boulevard, which I had spent, oh, yeah. you know, Boxer right down the street. Sure. I you know, kind of, you know, I worked at Revival Cafe. I'd spent a lot of my childhood. I went to Fairfax High School. Um, you know, that was kind of my stomping grounds. And I, I felt like that was the right space. The rent was cheap. It had a full liquor license, which was really important to me. And we just whittled away at it and finally came up with a deal and, um, you know, ended up, you know, taking out a partner and some investors. But at the end of the day, we opened a restaurant. That we were really proud of, and uh, I think you know it was a great success.
4: And what was the name of that place? It
5: was called Grace. It was named after my first daughter.
4: And um, what was it like going into business with your girlfriend slash fiance slash wife? How was that? Because a lot of people do not do that and try to have a separation between at home
5: and at work. You know, I'm very fortunate that you know I, I've learned through uh, trial and error, uh, more on the error side of how to be. Uh, supportive of my wife and how for her to be supportive of me and you know I think that I spent a lot of the time early on not really trusting her and Mm -hmm. making unilateral decisions that affected us both negatively Um, and through you know opening a lot of businesses together and trusting each other and realizing that there are certain things she does much better than me that I just completely divert to her on those things I don't second guess her and because of that we have you know probably the strongest relationship we've had since we've started dating and we're good partners, you know. But it didn't happen overnight. And, you know, at the end of the day, I work a lot. She works a lot. If she did something different, I don't know if I'd ever see her, you know.
4: Yeah. So it's nice to have someone. sort of a family business.
5: Yeah. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, we want to take time off. We take time off. We're the owners. Like, we're not like, hey, <laughs> hey, Ron, can I take Monday off? <laughs> no, asshole. You're going you're yeah. to go in there and work on Monday because I'm, I'm taking the day off. You know, mm-hmm. it's like there's something to be, you know, said about being your own boss and
4: it's very nice. It's, it's it an, helps. Uh, yeah, it definitely helps. It definitely helps with, uh, relationships, especially yeah. when you and your wife are the boss. Yeah. Um, so I know that the restaurant after that was BLD, but I want to make sure that we get to Redbird because Redbird has really become such a defining restaurant of not just your career, but of downtown LA. Um, so, so how did you, um, start thinking about that? Because, you know, um, BLD, uh, and Grace, um, we're a certain type of restaurant, and I feel like Red Burger is like the next evolution.
5: Well, we had two restaurants on Boulevard, very close to each other. Uh, we were doing very well. Um, the writers' strike really put a you know small nail in our coffin that was slowly removed after, and then you know the economy dropped out. And honestly, BLD got busier yeah. because it was a price point restaurant that people could kind of dress up and still go to and feel like yeah. it was fine dining sure and you know we lost almost all of our business at grace and we were not making money and we were still holding on to a sommelier a pastry chef a sous chef because we wanted to continue to you know make great food Mm -hmm. and um we were not making money you know so we did a party down here for ibm uh, at, at redbird and uh or at viviana and uh, in the process of us doing this very boring party for IBM, we met Annika Warden, who's our still our senior sales rep- representative here. And she said, Oh, by the way, we're looking for a restaurant tenant. And we toured the building and we immediately fell in love with it. And we decided at that moment we're going to sell our restaurant Grace and move it downtown and have Grace to whatever's going to call. We thought it would take us six months. You know, I got a, uh, a loan from Wells Fargo to pretty much cover the whole thing. Lambert's going to give us a million dollars. And, you know, slowly started, you know, unwrapping the onion and realizing that the building was in receivership and I <laughs> needed a guarantor for the loan. And then kind of everything was pulled off the table, put put back on the table. We were very, again, very persistent with the owners that we were the right tenants, yeah. the right people for the job. And they eventually, uh, you know, changed their tune. We ended up signing our lease. We ended up taking out a business partner. That business partner ended up refinancing the whole building. Um, we went from being one of seven or eight uh, preferred vendors in Viviana to running the whole facility. You know, we went from being, you know, a tenant to being the owner of the building in a very short amount of time. And, you know, six years later, um, you know, I consulted at the Strand House. Uh, Amy continued to work in BLD. And uh, six years after us doing the party for IBM, we opened Red Room. I mean,
4: do you feel that, and obviously your career is not over, but your career to that point of all the learnings and of all the work and the trial and error led to what this restaurant was. No problem. I'll just ask that again. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously your career is not over. Obviously, um, you're still cooking. You're, you're arguably doing some of the best food you've ever done. Um, but do you feel that all the struggles, all the, the failures and successes and what you learned, the evolution you're cooking led to, to what Redbird is?
5: I think so. I mean, I think we, you know, running a restaurant through a recession really teaches you how to be smart. And I think that When you're a young chef, we opened Grace, you know, we probably had a 35% food cost. We probably had a 35% labor cost. We probably comped a lot because we wanted to be known as that great restaurant. And we probably made a lot of foolish decisions that, in hindsight, we probably could have made a lot more money, you know, running a smarter business. We've taken everything we've learned from, you know, opening restaurants, being successful, not being successful, closing restaurants, and applied all that here. And we try to be as smart as we can possibly be about everything we do. And uh, that means like negotiating with our linen company, negotiating with our produce company, uh, freezing stuff when we need to, trying to serve the best product we can, not being afraid to charge when we need to charge for something, yeah. and you know being careful on comps. You know we're you know we comp a lot less than we probably ever have. That's not to say we, we're not generous. That's not to say that if you have a bad experience at Redbird, which hopefully you won't have, that we don't invite you back in or buy you dinner. Um, but we're trying to apply all the life lessons we've learned. And try to be more successful. Try to be better business people. Try to, you know, really dig in and try to get the most out of our employees. And um, be gracious. Be hospitable. Um, really go back to why we got in this business. You know, we're in the hospitality business. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people have forgotten that. I think a lot of chefs have forgotten that. I agree. You know, we're here to make you feel happy. You know, if you're not having, if you're not happy, I'm not doing my job.
4: No, I mean people, and part of this is part of the culture where. Going out used to be something special reserved for one night a week, and now that people go out every night a week, they can forget on both sides, both the, the ones doing the serving, the ones receiving the service,
5: nature.
4: yeah, that um, that it is supposed to be something special. We um, try to make it
5: special, that's not to say know. that we don't have people that just come sit at the bar and have a cocktail and an appetizer, a, we want that to be special too. And then, you know, that's what I really love when I, when I have a customer and they come in and they mainly sit at the bar. You know, they might order the same cocktail every time. They You know, they work their way through the menu and they're like, this is my favorite restaurant.
4: But that's sometimes, that's the best customer. Yeah. The, I mean, it is the very forgotten about um, dedication to a restaurant and people coming back and being a regular. Like yeah. the idea of being a regular has fallen so far away. From what it really used to mean, right? I mean, it used to be when I was growing up, we went out to eat at I think maybe three restaurants, but we always went out to one of three restaurants, and that doesn't happen anymore. It's like trying on like a, a new pair of shoes or something like that like yeah. every week.
5: So um, we use the term as uh, big game hunting. Yeah, you know, you don't you don't shoot three cape buffalo, and I, you know, to a certain point, Grace was big game hunting. You know, it was a big yeah. game hunting restaurant, just like Malise, just like Providence, just yeah. like Vespertine. and we were trying to. We didn't want to be the hippest, trendiest restaurant. You know, we wanted to be a restaurant. You know, we have a 25-year lease. I plan on being here for all 25 of those years, if not another 25 years after that. We wanted to build something we felt downtown was lacking. We wanted to build something that, you know, we, you know, is this the, you know, the deepest culinary expression of anything I can possibly do? No, it's not. But I think it's smart. I think some of the stuff's safe, some of the stuff not. Um, but I think that, you know, we wanted to be, you know, an institution for downtown Los Angeles. We wanted to be a place that would be here for a long time. We wanted to build something that was special that people felt good about being in. But it wasn't stuffy. It wasn't no. formal. You know, you can come in here in jeans and a t-shirt and not feel like, shit, I can't sit here because the guy next to me is in a tuxedo and he's going to give me a stink eye all night. That doesn't happen here. No. It's
4: welcoming to all kinds. Now, before we run out of time, I want to make sure that we talk a little bit about your charity work. Because sure. beyond putting your time Into restaurants and things like that, you also do um, what might be one of the best uh, charity events, which just seems like a lot of fun, um, which is the beefsteak. Right. um, Which uh, I know about because I'm from the East Coast. But for those who are not familiar with the tradition, what is a beefsteak?
5: A beefsteak originally was a political kind of friend raiser where a bunch of men in tuxedos would get together, drink a lot of beer, and eat meat with their hands.
4: I mean, it's... Amazing. And st- my favorite, though, is the – because it used to be served on, like, stale bread and, right. like, the bread stacking at each table and the different patterns that they they uh, do. But um, you do it with the uh, amazingly funny Eric Wareheim, and it's a uh, black tie event. I mean, it's, it's really nice. It's really proper. Um, how, did it's co- on- and how did it come about?
5: You know, Matt Selman, who's a friend of mine, our, our kids went to school f- together for a little while. He, it was kind of his idea. We were originally going to do it at uh, another restaurant on Fairfax – couldn't make it happen. Um, we kind of, you know, asked Viviana long before we'd signed our mm-hmm. lease that, you know, we want to do it here, and we literally planned it in a week. And when I mean we planned it in a week, I mean Amy planned it in a week, <laughs> and Eric and Matt and Courtcast took all the credit for it, and still do. And um, But it's charity. It's that's charity. Part, that's part of it. And, you know, every year, again, we get smarter. Like, you know, there's been a couple years where we've made a very small donation to the LA Food Bank, and, you know, every year we get a little smarter, we get more donations, we get... You know, we did a, the biggest VIP we've ever done this last year. We had it was 150 people for VIP. And, you know, all the proceeds, uh, all the profit went to the LA Food Bank. And, you know, kind of uh, Amy and mine, you know, stance on, on things is, you know, I can't write checks. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not a philanthropic person. Mm-hmm. I'm not there in my career. What well, I can do, I can donate my time. I can ask people to donate products. Mm-hmm. We can figure out ways to still give back and that's what we do you know and I, we do a lot of charitable work we do a lot of charitable work here we do a lot of charitable work out of the restaurant um, and I feel like you know somebody said like uh, I think it was uh, Tom Colicchio said you know it's like chefs are kind of like first responders you know it's like they're kind of the first responders mm-hmm. on to like try to raise awareness onto something and, and that's kind of true you know yeah. we have a great vehicle and um, we have the great ability to create something that people want to pay money for and I you know what's amazing some of these charity events we do you know we do Alex's lemonade stand you know they do this auction lot of this all women's chef's dinner and mm-hmm. I, mean, I think last year they raised you know $200,000 on two dinners for 10 people 20 people they raised $200,000 you know and people really want experiences now they want you know they don't want stuff they don't no. want hey here's a diamond ring for 50% off signing for the
4: the silent auction No thanks.
5: Yeah, they they don't want that stuff. They want an experience. They want a food and wine event. They want me to come to their house and cook dinner. They want to come here into one of our private rooms and have a dinner. And, you know, luckily for us, we can do that. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's usually a feel good all the way around. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to do it. I'm happy to do my part and to try to help, you know, our community and, uh, you know, our country. You know, be a little more hospitable to people that don't have as much as we do.
4: I agree. Well, Chef, before we go, one last question. With such a long and storied career with all the ups and downs that I think few people will be able to stick with and what is one of the toughest industries, what's the through line been for you? What's one thing that you've seen from the start that's still true today?
5: I mean, what I always say is, you know, I, I wake up every day and try to do a better job than I did the day before. You know, I think that, you know, you cannot rest under laurels, you know. I think you have to try hard every day. You know, you can. You have to be present. Um, you have to set realistic goals. You have to treat your staff, um, you know, well. You know, I think you need to, you know, any, any way you possibly can, through paying them, through, you know, we provide health insurance for our whole staff at Redbird. Um, not because we have to, but because we feel like we should, you know. And um, you know we try to make a difference. Some people get it, some people don't. But that doesn't mean that we don't we stop trying. Like somebody fucks me every one day, screw them. I'm not going to pay for health insurance anymore. Every day I, we you know we try to put on a, a fresh face and you know try to reinvigorate it to make everybody you know be in a comfortable work environment and you know hopefully show up to work and, and, and care about what they do.
4: Awesome. Well, Chef, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, if people want to find you online or in real life, where can they
5: go? Uh, I'm pretty easy to find. You know, I signed up for Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff early on. So it's just Neil Fraser, uh, Redbird um, on Instagram. Uh, our website is Redbird, redbird.la. Um, our event website is viviana.com.
4: Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. We have another track from the Snacky Tunes archives and then a live performance in studio on HeritageRadioNetwork.org.
7: I'm my my eyes. to yeah. New and to Better run.
1: Hey, this is Chef Eric from Robertus Radio. I love eating pizza for every meal, but sometimes I've got to branch out. Bob's Red Mill makes some stellar breakfast foods. Hey, Eric, the food in your big, bright, beautiful breakfast bowl looks delicious. Thanks. It's muesli. Muesli? Nah, muesli. It's like raw granola. You should try it. Uh, I don't know. My rich daddy buys me quail eggs and foie gras for breakfast every morning. Well, let me hip you on to something else. Did you know Bob's Red Mill is the flagship sponsor of Heritage Radio Network? I bet you if we call Bob himself, he can convince you.
0: Hi, Bob here.
1: Wait, is this the man from the muesli package? Yes,
0: I'm Bob Moore. How can I help you?
1: Uh, hey there, Bob. This is Eric from Heritage Radio Network, and I'm here with Mike, who I'm trying to convince to try muesli.
0: Ah, oh, I love muesli. Muesli such an easy way to start today. I can take a bag of muesli and munch on it in my car and get full, whole-grain nutrition for everything I need for at least half the day.
1: That is incredible. But what the heck is in the muesli anyway?
0: It has rolled oats, uh, rolled wheat, rolled barley, rolled triticale, and, uh, of course, our dried fruits and the seeds that are so important to our health. It's one of my very, very favorites.
1: After Bob's glowing recommendation, you going to try it?
0: Like they say, try it. You'll like it.
1: All right. Let me at that muesli. By the way, you can find more delicious whole grain breakfast ideas at bobsredmill.com podcast I'll check that out. I'll surf over there. Surf on over, dude. Baby Apaka, welcome.
4: Hi. Hello, how hey, are you? Hello. Bring the mics to awesome. your face. We'll talk and we'll do all that stuff. Why don't you go around the
8: room, introduce who you are and what you do in the band. I'm Chris, and I sing and play the auto harp in the band.
4: Yeah, and I'm Zach. I'm sorry, auto harp?
8: Yeah. The auto harp, it's a 32-string instrument, and it's traditionally a folk instrument. Wow. And I... Put it on a lot of pedals that make it sound a bit more like kind of like a synth. It's kind of like very dreamy, soundscapey feel. You didn't want to bring it in today. No, we don't have it today. Uh, okay. Is that
5: the thing the guy from the Love and Spoonful used to play?
8: Probably. Yeah, okay. it's a really. Ch- it You're can be up, there. Yeah, I like to. I hold it like. Yeah. Oh. This so and there's different ways that people rock it. I used to play it on a keyboard stand, and then I just started playing it like standing up and
2: different like resting on my leg. Heart.
8: Oh wait, we got That's one a last bit guy. More fun.
2: Yeah, I'm
1: Robert, and uh, I play
8: the drums. Awesome. Well, thank you. Today's filling in with the jimbe.
4: <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's
4: a uh, it's a good looking it's a good looking uh, drum over there. So, uh, who are you guys? What do you do? What do you dream? Of? I remember reading your about you saying that you started singing walking around as a seven year old.
8: Yeah. Uh, so it's always been your dream. Yeah, I've always loved music and just the way I love to just kind of like see everything around me, like the world. What's what I see and ponder through music, I think is really fun. Like I express everything I see in that way, and I think it's yeah, it's what I chose as a form of self-expression as an artist. And I love the woods and would kind of like listen to I loved Disney movies and the Wizard of Oz and musical films when I was really young and would just kind of like walk around and sing and was always kind of a dreamer and then ended up like moving to the city and meeting Zach and learning about rock and roll and my mom always was kind of a rock and roller too so like I would listen to a lot of that with her when I was young like on cassettes
4: I could see that mashup of I feel like there's always a scene with a Disney princess <laughs> in the forest singing or doing yeah. something. Um, and who knew it would turn into, manifest itself into an awesome band. Yeah. <laughs> I wish that you would, when you put down your influences, like if you like <laughs> Sleeping Beauty or Belle from Beauty and the Beast, you might like our band. Beauty and
8: <laughs> the Beast was my favorite. And I love Fox and the Hound, which that doesn't have music really. Fox but. and the Hound's <laughs> a classic. But I love the story. Yeah. I like him with like a Belle Fox and the Hound hybrid. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Give it enough
4: time. I'm sure Disney <laughs> yeah. will do it. Yeah, um and so you guys all hooked up and you met. And what
8: what year was this? When did you guys all meet? We met two years ago. Okay, and then and then
6: Robert more recently. And
8: Robert, we just is a newer addition. Probably yeah. like when did we meet you, Robert? Do you even know? Maybe
4: November or something. So <laughs> as you've met each other, have you added instruments to the band, or did you have other people playing those instruments? You,
8: yeah, there were other people playing them before, so sorry,
4: dudes. No pizza for you. Yeah, <laughs> we call them
8: the Axes. but love uh, them all.
4: Aww. Uh, uh, well, let's hear a song. Let's 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 bust out a jam. What are you going to play first? I think I'm going to play a-, a song called "Not Strong Tonight." Okay. And. All right, here we go, baby alpaca. Here live on Snacky Tunes. Mm-hmm.
3: What? Tonight, tonight, tonight If I could turn back time I'd do it all the same I lost my heart, I lost my brain that first night I fall in love so fast, it's just life Like a bird flies You are my love, you are my life And when you left I thought I'd die At the sight Of your back fade into black In the night, the night, the night Tonight, tonight, tonight And the day went away I felt just like a stray Singing blue tunes in an alleyway play.
4: Nice. Was that our song?
8: Yeah.
4: Playing yeah, our song together? That's our song. That's our song. Oh. <laughs> awesome. It's really nice. Really nice. Perfect. Thank perfect music you. for a day like Today.
8: Yeah, I think our song was referring to another song on, on our EP and then also on our record. It's called Run With You and it's like we've been rocking it for a while.
4: So. Self-referential
8: to yeah. the music? <laughs> yeah, it was just like something i was thinking about when because the song run with you is just like about you know it's very much like about your friends and the way that we stick together and like help each other as artists and as people and just like having fun in the world and like in our lives and then just kind of when you if you lose that it can just be really lonesome and it actually like in my own personal experience losing it after I even wrote that song, Run With You, and then regaining like friendship again and seeing what it, how important something is and when you realize when it's gone. That made me right Not Strong tonight. Is...
4: I think uh, gaining and losing friendships is a big part of New York that a lot of people don't always feel comfortable talking about, but it's probably one of the toughest things to maintain in the city is a lot of close friendships. Um, you can have a lot of friends and a lot of people that like you know <laughs> And go out and that, but the, the real close friendships they take a lot of work, and the good ones can go away and come back. That's that's the other thing people don't tell you is that I think you that's may not see somebody. Show, uh,
5: I think that's what that show Girls is about. Oh actually. my god, <laughs> <laughs> that
4: girl that, that that show cuts a little too close to the bone. I would say. I feel like I'm the only person that hasn't seen that. I mean, it, you it's know what? what? It's about seen girls it, living Seen it, in like it. Room, right? I'm good with it. It's the most important yeah. show
1: ever. Right. It's the most realistic show. That and, uh,
4: <laughs> That and True Blood.
1: Yeah. (laughs) That's CSI Miami. It's the uh, Brooklyn
4: vampire sex show without so much um, the vampires. Takes place on a manor in the English countryside. Um, So you guys live around here? Yeah, I live in
8: Williamsburg on Bedford. Where are you guys?
4: Subletting. It's a hot spot we're just talking about. Are you guys eating at any of these new restaurants? Where do you guys eat when you're in town?
8: Roebling Tea Room. Roebling Tea Room. That's my fave burger.
4: It's a great burger
8: so good. That's it's a, a great a, like, restaurant. Ball of a burger. It, yeah. It's a great restaurant in general, yeah. And I just love the burger. And I also love this, like, everyone that runs it and works there. I have think you seen Bill Murray really there? Good attitude. I never have. No, but my friend has. My friend Rory.
4: Bill Murray's son works at Roebling Tea Room and he's been known to... Isn't
8: it his restaurant? Does he own it? I think so. I don't know. I think uh, Bill, Bill Murray, Murray owns, owns maybe didn't know.
1: I thought
4: that uh, Bill Murray's son was like a to chef there
1: or something? I
4: don't yeah. even know
8: if he's still
2: working,
4: but the chef there, actually, Dennis Spina, who's been there for years, is, I think, a pretty talented dude. They're opening another place in Greenpoint, too, actually. Greenpoint, man. Greenpoint's on fire. Uh, yeah. Do you guys cook a lot? Do you guys cook a lot when I you're love, in the studio? And... I love cooking. Really? Yeah,
8: I'm actually really, I would say I'm a pretty... How are those knife skills? On a one to ten? <laughs> Zach, you should yeah. rate it, since you've had a lot of my cooking. I
4: mean, his knife <laughs> skills are ten. Ten, up, yeah, they're
8: really nice. Cool. Oh yeah, I'm a fast knife yeah, I have slipped up with it and cut myself. Uh, no, that's, not a ten, that's no, that's no, a badge so of honor. First.
5: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Have you guys ever had to write a tour
4: writer of like, uh, you know, food you want for your dressing room?
8: That would be cool. Usually we don't We're eat too to much before show, show, yeah. shows. got it. So I'd like, like, like to have a big writer just so we can see like the fabulous spread. But maybe <laughs> eat it after the show. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah single and double stuff Oreos, right? Both. Right. So what do you cook? What do you make?
8: I think I love to make pizza. Really? Yeah. At home, pizza's a it's a tall, it's tall really order. Cool, yeah, it's and it's so much better. I was I my pizza's been also compared to like lasagna because it's I like to put tons of stuff on it and in it, and usually like to do a lot of like themed pizzas too, like Mexican pizzas because Mexican food is also one of my favorites. And you do the cheese underneath the
4: sauce. Don't you? Oh, like uh, Chicago style.
8: Yeah, use some under, some on, sometimes like yeah, a lot of a lot. Of. I also like to make braised short ribs. One of my oh, that's great. Yeah, it. Set it and forget it, right? Cook and stuff is so good. Yeah, four hours later, it's really good. It's just
4: I usually find that when I'm braising, I have to have a mid braised snack of something on hand because <laughs> yeah, the whole house out. starts smelling yeah. so good, and you go, all right, I need. I'm not gonna make it four to six hours. I need a slice of pizza
8: or something, so yeah, and one of my one of one thing that I would like advise anyone making at home pizzas is especially if you're a New Yorker is to go ahead and like go to a raised pizza or any of the pizza shops and use their dough because it takes a lot of the time and preparation, like out of the cooking, and they'll do a much better job than you will at home
4: yeah dough so. is the is the trick yeah, and you can stretch those doughs to like two at-home pizzas. It's so
8: easy to do, yeah.
4: Yeah. Uh, let's hear another cheat. song. Here, okay, let's,
8: yeah. Let's it. play Run With You. Yeah, you let's
4: play Run With You. Let's, let's hear what our song is all about. Mm-hmm. Uh, here we go. Uh, Baby Alpaca again here on Snacky Tunes.
2: nice
3: thank you that was great yeah the
4: uh the me. infamous effects button that, that got tucking away from us <laughs> That's awesome. um because we used to play drops instead of hand claps um <laughs> so what do you guys have uh coming up what's on what's on the docket
8: yeah, we have a few things going on right we've actually it's been really fun lately because we're as a band like have been playing a really long time and really like honing in on our craft and like on playing together and working on all of our recordings which we have done in so many different places and it's been an amazing experience we just like finished recording 16 songs wow and like worked in a studio in LA for a long time finishing them all up and I'm really excited with how they turned out and finally are starting to like you know kind of come out as a band and it's been really fun to finally actually to play be able out. to play out and like spread the music around and we're about to go to LA and go to Palm Springs in the desert and we're working on like music videos and some of the other like art and creative projects that come along with like being in a band but we should which play the show really that we're cool.
4: playing on um, on the 19th at Pianos
8: yeah we're playing on the a... 19th at Pianos so that'll be cool and we're probably gonna you know play a show in LA when we go there too and we're we're about to start releasing singles from our record, and then we're going to release an EP in April that has four of the songs from the record on it. And then we're also will like release our video around then, which is for the song Wild Child, awesome. which is one of my favorite songs. Are you
5: guys always a three piece?
8: We've played with in many configurations. We usually we're a four piece usually we have a bassist that we play with and then we also play with strings sometimes so that can turn us into like a six piece easy or seven piece piano and a piano but zach plays the piano too so we don't have like an extra person for some that. of the
4: songs we wrote to do like either on guitar or piano depending on because pianos are kind of more rare <laughs> yeah, yeah, so and it. we would like you know live pianos I
8: and mean, real pianos
4: and who are you playing with at pianos,
8: we're playing with um, a band called Teletext Style. That's a good name. Yeah, <laughs> and my friend Pamela is the singer in the band. And, and where I'm, did you
4: get your name from?
8: Um, we're called Baby Alpaca. I wrote a song when I was first like started writing music. I had a sweater that was made out of baby alpaca, and I also had like a little like a dog, a black Chihuahua <laughs> named Apple, who passed away. God bless her heart forever. And uh, I was just like holding her in the sweater one day and I started writing a song. It was like, would you be my baby alpaca? I would keep you warm from the frigid weather, save you from the storm. Would you be my baby alpaca? I would keep you warm from the January cold and breezy winds. Would you be my baby alpaca? We, or I will keep you cool in the heat of summer, shave off all your wool. Will you be my baby alpaca? We could have some fun. Let's go skinny dipping out on the pond. Nice. <laughs> Very nice. And then I just I was playing my first show. It was actually in Ohio where I'm from, and they're like, "What are you going to call yourself?" And I was like, "I really like the name Baby Alpaca, like as a song." So I went by that that one first day, and then just kept rocking it. And then now we've become a band of baby alpacas. Amazing. Is there
4: is there a name? You know, it's like a murder of crows. Is there a name for a group of alpacas? Mm. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. A fluff. A flock? A fluff. A fluff. A fluff. A fluff. <laughs> <Good>. uh-huh. <laughs> well, I want to thank you guys. And before we have you play us out, uh, what are all the nuts and bolts of uh, website, SoundCloud, Twitter?
8: Your yeah, website is babyalpaca.ca. So it's babyalpaca.ca. It's Canadian yeah. website. Nice. Canadian website. It's a very clever play on WWs by my friend Tyler Love. And... You can follow us on Twitter at Baby Alpaca Love and on Instagram at BabyAlpaca.
4: And SoundCloud.
8: And we also have a SoundCloud. Amazing.
4: So I want to thank my guests,
8: BabyAlpaca, Greg, Joe,
4: Jack, Heritage, Aaron, everybody. It's been amazing. Thank you. Uh, what are your guys out
8: with? Um, let's play it. And on a high fun note, this song's called On The Road." Okay, here we go. Maybe I'll pack it one last time. Live on Stacky 2. Maybe can
4: you turn down that effect a little bit?
2: Yeah. (laughs) The.